Gentlemen, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. So, welcome to another episode of Cross the Line, fifteen twenty-four. I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and on the phone, our special guest, Christian Blake Roper. So, if you heard our last podcast with Christian, he was featured on the History Channel uh, and the show Maddie Blake host uh, Beyond Oak Island. But he he's got more tales than just that. He's into the paranormal a little bit. So those of you who listen to us regularly know that we've got um, we've got a, <laughs> some uh, spirit activity that happens here at the Speakeasy. Not just the liquid spirit. Yeah, form. just not the yeah. liquid spirit. So to fill Christian in a little bit, the Speakeasy is attached to um, a pre-Civil War era house. Um, and there's been some activity here. In fact, we had some paranormal investigations, three of them to be exact. So... There are a few spirits here. Sometimes they like to let us know they're here. Our lights will go down. Things will happen. Cat balls will light Cat up. Cat balls will light up. You know, EVPs will go off. So we have a good time with it. You know, we it's all good stuff here. So talk to us about your experiences. Well, okay. Did we shock so, you there? <laughs> no, there's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff to go back on. Um, I will say that I don't think I ever would have gotten into treasure hunting without these paranormal experiences. It, you know, it's it's kind of all grouped together. Um, these these stories, these legends. Once you experience something and it's in your heart proven to be true, then you know what's to say everything else out there that's considered you know fringe. What's to say those are not true as well? So, I grew up in a family that was pretty split on, you know, spirituality versus, uh, you know, considering anything paranormal taboo, really. Um, My mother's side was very spiritual. They all have experiences. we've got connections to to a lot of stuff as well um my grandfather was the chief expedition medic on operation high jump the 1946 and 1947 expedition to antarctica um that has all the ufo lore attached to it um that's that's where all your stories of of you know hollow earth come from aliens in antarctica um and we've we've dug pretty deep into the research of that and uh, he didn't talk about it much but uh, I'm under the impression that the official story that they were headed to Antarctica with 5,000 soldiers to test equipment is not exactly true it was you know about a year removed from World War II and there were over 300,000 Nazis missing Um, I think the the army and, and Admiral Richard E. Byrd were under the impression that there may have been some sort of base in, in an area of Antarctica known as New Swabia. Um, but I had a family connection to that. Would not know until, you know, 20 years later what that even was and how rare it was to have a personal connection to that. Um, but in terms of the paranormal, I've got two face-to-face encounters with spirits that happened when I was about between the ages of four to five years old. Um, Do you want me to just dive into those? Dive into them. You've got our attention. Cool. Um, So at at the age of four, you don't 
know what a ghost is. You know, you, you may have heard it, you don't truly know what a ghost means. Um, I was about that age, and my aunt had, had moved into a an older house um, where an, an older man had, had recently passed away. It had moved into this house. It was me, my mother, my father, um, my aunt, my uncle, and I believe their two kids were there. Everyone was in the living room. I was either drawn to the, the hallway or decided to use the restroom. It's For some reason, I had walked all the way down the hallway, which was hidden, um, to most of the living room. So I had kind of snuck away. Completely hazy on that part. A lot of these details were, were retellings of what I told family members then. I do remember visually just a little bit, um, but a lot of this is filled in by uh, my mom, my aunts, yeah, everyone that heard me speak that night. So this house was old enough that it did not have indoor plumbing. And so they had to build an addition onto the house. And that's where the bathroom was. It had actually built it over an enclosed, um, they had enclosed a well and covered that inside this bathroom that was added onto the side. And uh, there was a man in there. There was a man in the room and um, he kind of motioned that he wanted to speak with me. And uh, I walk in not thinking it was weird at all. Um, this man knelt down and touched me on the shoulder. I do not have any clue what he said to me. I just recall that the hair was very off and red and that the facial features were very strange and discolored and that his nose was very red. And in my mind, I thought he was a clown. Um, but I, I do remember him physically making contact with my shoulder as he knelt down to speak with me. Uh, my aunt sees me in the doorway of this enclosed bathroom. And uh, she, she says, Christian, who are you talking to? And I turn around and say, you know, the, the clown wants to talk to you. And that's the point where she lost it because no one else was in the house. Her kids had reported things and, and had reported seeing a man for, I believe, several months prior. They had had stuff go missing. It was always male items. Um, it, razors and stuff would, would end up outside the house. Shot glasses would end up outside the house. Um, but this, this man spoke to me and he knelt down and, and touched me on my shoulder. I turned around and tell her the clown wants to speak to you. All the adults freak out. You know, within seconds, they searched the entire house. Don't find anyone. Their biggest concern was that some stranger had gotten in. And uh, that is, is what happened. Um, a few weeks later, my aunt was also babysitting me. And she catches me trying to go up to the attic. There was a, uh, there was a ladder headed up to the attic. I had been trying to climb up there. And so she asked me what I'm doing. And I tell her, well, that's where the clown is. And uh, after that, they wouldn't <laughs> let me in the house anymore. <laughs> uh, that was that. Um, but at some point, either in between this first and second um, encounter or potentially after the second, at some point, um, there were still photos of the old man uh, or of the recent uh, the the man that had recently passed away inside this house um, not sure if it was a photo album what it was but there were several sets of photos that they were going through and I'm just you know sitting on the couch and I point one out and I say that's that's the clown oh wow and it was an older photo of the man that had passed away in the hall <laughs> wow wow you're, def you're definitely not allowed in the house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Did not have a clue what ghosts were at that point. I was just, you know, talking to whoever was in front of me. 
there is no grasp at that age of spiritual realm reality well your mind is open exactly you don't Uh, there's no fear of all these things that are beat into our heads as once you get older you know at that age you're just you're just experiencing life as it's coming at you and so it was just something something else for sure yeah that that happened around the same time um my grandfather passes away the same one that was involved with operation high jump and you know this is the one that turned my father into a believer even though he was not there to experience it kind of once you see something that affects your kids or affects someone close to you in that way it will very quickly turn you into a believer um so we were driving home one night and my father worked at a dive store and uh, he, he managed this dive store we were driving home it was about maybe an hour away from the house so we've got this long drive one night but my parents had taken separate cars that night and my my dad was following behind uh, my sister was maybe a year two years old old enough to barely get words out and uh, she was still in a car seat my mother was driving no one's in the front passenger seat um in this old red isuzu rodeo i'm in the back right seat my sister's in the car seat in the back left and my sister started screaming and my mom's trying to figure out what's wrong you know what did you do to your sister (laughs) you know nothing I can't figure out what's going on it keeps happening three or four times she's just freaking out my my mom thought she was choking thought there was some sort of you know serious problem and at some point you know I I don't remember as very much from this instant uh, this instance so I have to put an asterisk that all of this at least the majority of it was from retellings by my mother and father as what I said so at some point this this makes no sense but at some point I saw my grandfather's face and upper body in between my sister and I the one that had passed away and it was my mother's father and you know my my mom was probably several months removed from her father passing away that's still a very you know sensitive subject right right and again my sister's screaming and so i you know tell my mom you know it's it's the man the man i didn't know who it was at first and my mom's going what man and then at some point I became aware that this was my grandfather and he was trying to hold my sister's hand. My mom's a big believer in, in guardian angels, you know, that type of, of spirituality. And uh, again, it, 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 it became so bad with my sister screaming that she had to pull the car over, take my sister out, ask what the heck happened. And I said, grandfather was trying to hold her hand. And so that, you know, would, would freak my mom out. My dad saw the car pull over in front of him. He pulls over next. And then we, I explained to him what's going on. This is what turned my father into a believer. He starts, you know, doing what any father would do, which is kind of <laughs> wanting to protect his children. And he starts yelling at my mom's recently deceased father to stay away from his kids because he thought her father was somehow, you know, wanting to scare us. Um, But it was like this peaceful thing that I described where he was attempting to hold her hand. And and that was what turned my father into a believer, seeing that um, happen with his kids. Those were the only two really face-to-face experiences I've had in my life. I've, you know, been involved with numerous, you know, paranormal investigations, 
had lots of stuff happen there. Never to that extent to where everyone is is freaking out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I had my start early experiencing, you know, what what this is. I remember early days of of you know Sunday school when when they would talk about, you know, when when people die they go to heaven, and I just struggled to understand that. And I you know I I tell the teacher whoever it was I, I remember this saying. Um, no, I've I've seen my grandfather. Like he's here. Like there's heaven is not in the sky. It's 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 here. I've I've seen him. Um, those are those are my two big paranormal ones. I've I've seen other strange things. Um, around the same age, I also had a uh, a really weird vision, which. Uh, kind of led me to to gain an interest in piracy um and i'll dive into that if you want me to or yeah actually i was going to ask the question you you kind of led into it that um you you wouldn't be in the the treasure hunting if it weren't uh for some of your uh experiences so i i think this is right you're you're headed right in in the direction (laughs) of my question I want to remind the listeners, too, that this gentleman's 24 years old, so it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> we're not talking about <laughs> those old farts. Well, you know? For him, it was almost a lifetime. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're thinking something that uh, this is pretty relative to his situation right here for us, so it's uh, it, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so so this vision, um, I talk about this in the documentary. It's it's the opening scene. Um where I let people know that this film never happens without this really weird vision that I have at about four or five years old. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys, uh, I, I think everyone should find it interesting, whether you believe in it or not, you know, that's up to you, but, but the idea of, of reincarnation or past life memory, um, this, this idea that, something happened before your current existence um i I think it's incredibly interesting um so i was about four to five years old and i remember exactly where i was i was you know sitting in this neon orange beanbag chair probably in my underwear probably you know dinosaur underwear you know, thinking about dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. should not have been thinking about <laughs> reincarnation or, you know, I- any sort of, you know, parapsychology. Um, so, you know, that that's the context. I was I was young, should have been thinking about dinosaurs and baseball, but I was I was facing the wall, and this really weird kind of daydream just. These, these visuals kind of shoot to the front of my mind really weird and uh, I remember it, it being on a, this cove um, it was it was cove it looked like the Western Caribbean you know something tropical it was it was this cove with with a shoreline extending long on the left long on the right and there was this rowboat and you know, people people have brought up the idea of, of a past life. You know, or contrary to that, this this could have come from a TV show. It could have come from you know any number of things and overactive imagination. But nonetheless, it was all very weird. And and this is what sparked my interest in in piracy. But from there, it jumps to the inside of this palapa, this small thatched roof hut, and it was this strange construction of of twigs vines and it was it was palm trees that that lined the four beams on the outside and this huge wooden beam on the inside supporting the top and i remember standing there and looking down at the front right corner of this palapa and there were gaps in the wall it was it was almost like a clay like structure around the walls that had started to crumble and it was just incredibly vivid vision and the the walls were were made of intertwined vines and, and twigs 
and there were gaps in between these twigs and you know you could feel the wind coming from the right into this cabin the most vivid thing in my mind were how the the sunlight would penetrate those gaps and there would be little slits of sunlight going through the little hills in the sand and in these little hills you could see you know little twigs dead palm fronds um you know it was the the most mundane stuff that i remembered from this vision and at, at four or five years old I'd, I'd never been anywhere like that and somehow you know you know in dreams where you might not see something visually but you kind of know what happens yeah right. you yeah, right. automatically gain that that uh, uh that knowledge so i knew that there were three of us there was myself there was a woman and there was a missionary and in this vision i knew that the missionary had placed a bronze cross at the front of this palapa and that this was a favor and in this vision somehow whatever it was i knew that that i was a criminal that i was a pirate and a clandestine marriage took place inside of this thatched roof hut <laughs> um but at, at like four or five years old that was at the front and within like three seconds all of that knowledge was right there whether that it was it was a deja vu feeling everything was right there um i can even tell you that this opening to this plop was facing the south because i knew it was sunset and the sunlight was coming from the the right part of this this palapa um and when my father was actually teaching me to hold my breath underwater he's a uh, very good free diver. He had, you know, an unofficial American record at one point. Um, just incredible breath holder. He would he would teach me all of his tactics to hold my breath underwater. And he uh, he 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 told me to always go somewhere calm. Go like go to your happy place. And so when you hold your breath underwater, then and you get really good at it, and you start to slow down your heart rate. It's, it's almost like falling asleep and for whatever reason my mind would always you know even even into my early teens my mind would always go back to that cabin or not that cabin the the uh, the thatched roof hut and uh you know don't have any explanation for that other than that's been recurring imagery in in my life and in in dreams and in these these daydreams um, but without that, I don't think I ever get into pirates to this extent. Um, you know, people bring up the idea of, of past life visions. I don't, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, it was a, a really strange dream I had. Not sure at, at four to five years old why I would be daydreaming about a marriage or. A, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little odd. I'm not sure what yeah. that is, right? This secretive beach wedding, but you know, it was very minimalist. Um, you know, not modern technology in this in this palapa, very uh, you know archaic. But w whatever that was, somehow I, that sparked my interest in pirates. And so, you know, in the stream, I was a pirate. I had to own every single book about pirates. I had to learn everything about them. I had to learn about this secretive life at sea because you know that was my cove. And I was so obsessed with that cove. That was my happy place. I had never been anywhere like that in my life. But, you know, I would always be thinking about this little hut in this cove. In that moment, I don't remember anything about the ceremony, language spoken, anything like that. Just a few images, looking down at the sand, looking down at this bottom right corner, seeing the, the slits of sunlight um, in there that was that vision and, and it's very interesting because i mentioned in the last episode that we tracked down a guy uh by the name of jim nonis who co-founded the lafitte society right and he had a nearly exact story um different imagery but he talks about at the age of three to four years old um having this recurring nightmare of being stuffed into a tow sack by two men and taken oh, wow. on board a, a ship and being forced into piracy and 
years yeah. later, you would come across an article which uh, lend, lends credence to the idea that that's how Lafitte got into piracy, was that he was abducted and forced into piracy. Huh. And he's had these strange visions that he thought were through the eyes of, of Jean Lafitte. So when we interviewed him for the film, you know, I was like, you know, there, there's a possibility that, you know, somehow, some way, um, you know, this is Jean Lafitte right here in front of us. You know, that's that's a cool idea to think about. You know, it makes a better story. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I got to say something. About- if you ever think of having a wedding and you don't know what the venue is, you need to call us up because I'll remind you, you need to be in a hut on a beach. <laughs> I mean, that would just right. be the, the ultimate climax to that vision. It'd be the, that would be what your wedding ceremony would be someday if you ever decide to get married. So, Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, just cheap, you know, build it myself. That's what it looked like. Yeah, I mean, memorable. So, and It's amazing. Your, your little thing there, and your, you know... At that age, you know, that kind of, you would have never thought of anything like that on your own. I mean, right, yeah. something put that in your mind. That's right. what I was thinking of being at four or five years old, and he's yeah. that vivid. Well, yeah. especially, yeah, um, yeah, it's just, there's nothing that, other than imagination, but it's something, even to those details, though, it has to be deeper than just an imagination. You know, I mean, I have grand grandkids that are, you know at that age right now and i see their imagination but it's not that vivid i mean they're seeing things but it's seeing things that they see in real life they're just replicating it into their play but that's pretty amazing story yeah whatever explanation it has you know i wanted to include it because um one it shows that a lot of these pirate stories a lot of the the interest that people have in pirates comes from a little bit of the, the the paranormal tinge you know, it's it's the stories of curses, it's the stories of the, the ghost ships. Um, but again, pirates occupy a unique place in our collective storytelling. And that we all kind of have a desire to be one. Like you, you guys have, have mentioned, um, you know, a story of, of, a, of a Civil War general. Um, right. You know, though there might be treasure legends involved, you no one ever has dreams about you know wanting to to live that life of a civil war general um i I think pirates are kind of the uh, like the the a-list character that that kids desire to be even though you know know, growing up halloween how many people on halloween when we were kids still put the eye patch on got the sword and were the pirate you know they were the robin hoods of the time you know take the rich and give to the poor and that's the way it was well there was no end to what the story was it wasn't a a set story it was just so much adventure and you know kind of whatever you wanted it to be yeah so you had you had pirates then you had privateers so it's it's there's and a lot of the privateers ended up turning into pirates but I mean the stories are just you know, that's the stuff I, that I dreams you, are made of. I, I love these stories of piracy, and and I, you know, I've read a lot of different topics on that, and I, I I'm sort of excited to learn a little bit more about what's going on with uh, with this paranormal stuff too, because I honestly don't. And these guys, I'll tell you, I, I, I sort of shy away from the paranormal stuff. We like but, to scare rivers. But, yeah, but the yeah. story Where's the cat ball at? Where's the cat ball at? <laughs> so, but, the, uh, but the, you know, the stories he comes from, the age that he is, and being that vivid, it's pretty interesting. It is. It is. So what, you know, we, t- we start out the podcast, and we tell everybody we're at the Rusted Nail Speakeasy. It's a little speakeasy outside of Brookville, Indiana. This episode, we forgot to mention Table 12. Table 12, I don't know, Christian, if you can hear them. Uh, they're they, not as enthusiastic. They're, well, they've got a bunch of empty bottles over there. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're mellowed out. <laughs> yeah. They're all calmed down. Uh, but that's our wives over there. So they, they are uh, 
absolutely support us, and uh, we just wanted to give them a shout-out before you tell your next story. (laughs) Well, and to tell you, your stories, we we have some of our paranormal stories, but they don't match this. Yeah, yeah. Ours are flashlights turning on and stuff like that, so it's still exciting, but nothing. And uh, although the SLS camera has been pretty interesting in this this speakeasy. Yeah. So, and and that being said, so you you've talked about some of your experiences at shop, but I think you mentioned too that you've you've done some paranormal um, research. Um, so, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, my mother uh, had friends that were ghost hunters, and so they they got me involved in that pretty early. I knew that I had the experiences as a child. I'd never talked about them. I just that was enough for me to know that ghosts were real. So part of my story, part of, of me ever getting into cameras, ever getting into wanting to, to make a documentary, ever wanting to be on TV, anything like that, started with, with a lot of these early experiences with these ghost hunters. They, they would pick up orbs, whatever it may be. Um, one place in particular... Um, is known as the the Kilo Monument or the the Kilo Massacre site, and uh, it involves the I believe the year was 1838. It involves a a massacre of the Kilo family in East Texas in this area of East Texas. Um, but there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. Uh, it was it was largely blamed on the Cherokee in the area. However, the Cherokee never took credit for it. Um, there are other reports saying the Cherokee were not involved, but that it was some sort of inside job by Texas's second president of 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 all people um, as an excuse to force the Cherokee out of Texas. So there's a lot of historical backstory to this place. But that was the location where I was shown a photo of an orb. And... Uh, that was the summer of 2008. Something else happened in the summer of 2008 that I'll touch upon in a second um, that convinced me to ask my parents to, to get me a camera. It was, it was very cheap, but, you know, I wanted to take photos of ghosts too. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they, they get a camera and then they get into the, the weird stuff. I experienced the weird stuff and then asked for a camera. So, Again, my entire life is is a bit backward. Um, you got a long way to go yet, so you got time to figure it out and straighten it out. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Not to date but, ourselves, but you're less than half our age. So. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a bit top heavy. You know, it's I've got the the ghost experiences, and then the, you know somehow I, I end up. You know, looking for a pirate treasure. How many people can say they've done that? Right. Yeah. Um, that's insane. And and again, you know, I'll never tell people that, but I'll tell them the time that I met Maddie Blake and we <laughs> had interview in the, the smelly hotel room. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I've I've been careful not to brand myself too much as as a treasure hunter or too much in the paranormal. Um, you know, there there's taboo involved with both cons and, and pros with both right um, you know I love to tell people this but a lot of people will call you out as a treasure hunter you kind of have to roll with the punches yeah. Maddie Blake tells me it's a, it's a zero sum game a lot of times you know they're they're very joking on Oak Island with, with you know yeah we haven't found anything you know the crew is very joking um, you know Rick and Marty roll with it but I love to tell people that there are two types of treasure hunters. There's, there's one half that, that thinks it's a waste of time, and then there's another half that thinks it's an incredible waste of time. So <laughs> you've got to kind of roll with the punches, That's you know. That's a good one. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. Both of those, both of those subjects are, are could be taboo because there's into into today's world probably even more because everybody's feelings are so emotional one way or the other there's no there's no in between there's no letting it roll off and doing something else so yeah you you kind of have to be cautious and in your career what you're looking to do you you, yeah you definitely don't want to label yourself as one thing yet um until you decide for sure what you want to do you know which direction you want to go totally so 
mm-hmm. we get that, but yeah, it's it's they're they're both very interesting subjects. But I I I found a good kind of sweet spot. I feel like um, in these stories, my entire life is has been based on these these stories. You know, I was, I was surrounded by everything: ghost stories, treasure stories, everything. Um, but I'll never try to convince anyone of any of any of these. Right. Yeah. Um, I've I've loved you know simply being able to share a story. I might completely disagree with it. You know, have all the evidence in the world in my mind that it's it's not true or it's true. I'll, I'll never try to to convince you of anything. My enjoyment comes out of you know watching people's eyes glow when they get to hear something like that. Everyone needs a what if, and some people are crazy enough to. To pursue those what ifs and, and try to look after those, but you know I've I've loved the last few years of, of being able to look into different stories. Um, but I, I was involved in, in several different paranormal investigations. Um, was in talks with a show for a little bit. Ultimately, decided uh, that it probably wasn't for me that that specific uh, show what they were looking for. Um, but but I love it. I love uh, you know entertaining, just seeing like like I said in the last episode. You know, being able to share a night with you guys over stories where we had different experiences, absolutely everything. You know, it's it's the most meaningful thing in the world, and, and storytelling really is what unites us. So you know what, Dwayne alluded to the Gator Fry in September. We could do all this sitting around a campfire. There you, go. you ain't kidding. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. There you go. I'll send you a couple tickets. You can fly up here. You know, that sounds uh, good. One thing I wanted to mention is my wife and I had talked about doing a Eastern Texas uh, vacation this year. We decided to push it off to next year. And just in this conversation that we've had over here just tonight. I know where Ruben's going. I've got like <laughs> nine places marked down where I'm going. Uh, you know, I did, I've not heard of the of the, the Kilo Massacre and, I, I, Massacre, and I think it's interesting. I'd like to read up more on that. And uh, and, and not only that, but the, the lake. I want to see the lake and I want to see how far it is. If you see and a do, short guy with a shovel, that's Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, you know, Texas is loaded with history. And it's loaded uh-huh. with, um, obviously, you being a paranormal, many places, including like the Alamo, that can lead some of the paranormal, paranormal activity. But um, just listening and talking tonight has really spurred me to really want to do an Eastern Texas trip uh, even more uh, along the coast and, and, and inward. So I, I, I've enjoyed the conversation, if nothing other than that, to learn where I want to go, what I want to see. And I appreciate that. Yeah, glad to uh, I'd be glad to help you out with finding places there's a lot you know in terms of Texas you really need to decide you know which country you want it's it's pretty big <laughs> right yes yeah. yeah. I've driven right. across that's the only state that takes a flipping day to drive well, across you know and I've spent some time in Texas working and stuff and it's big right? uh, mainly El Paso area and uh, but the eastern side is I've, I've been intrigued by that because there was a lot of there was a lot of ship movement through the golf golf area on the east side of Texas, and um, someone I'm I'm not going to say who put out a large map about 20 years ago of 1,800 ships that had sunk on the eastern coast, including the Gulf, that had some kind of barrel valued treasure on them, whether it mm-hmm. be whether it be materials or gold or silver, but. Uh, in the Gulf area was a big part of that off the Texas coast. And, uh, you know, learning about your conversation earlier tonight and then learning about the massacres and stuff just makes me want to spend more time in traveling through the air and see some of that stuff. Yeah, I will tell you that the state of Texas um, will... They, they've made it illegal to pursue any shipwrecks within seven nautical miles of the coast. Really? Okay. Um, because there's a lot out there. there I is. believe Louisiana. It's 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 fair game if you've got the equipment and the the means of doing so. I believe you can go out and get um, portions of what you find from the Louisiana state government. But Texas, anything in a a waterway or anything within seven miles of the coast is immediately forfeited if it's found. Um, you know, I've I've heard stories of people looking for various shipwrecks on the coast. And uh, getting kind of 
I guess, pretty serious warnings from the state. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always kind of strayed away from it. That's that's way beyond my scope of training and, and my, you know, uh, kind of interest range. But there's, a, there's so, so much out there, man. So speaking of that, what do they say about the treasure that you're looking for? Right. Yeah, I mean, is that if, fair game? Is that fair game? So, interesting question. Um, it is in private property, so we are good legally. If if anything is found, I think the second you get a glimpse of a medal, you know, you get a lawyer involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. Um, Quickly, but but there's just so many different places across the state. I've I've gotten. You know, it's the ability to search several different public beaches, several different um, private landowners' properties. There's so much out there that can be found. Right. And then the fun part is working back and determining that story of how that got there. Well, I, I think um, you, that's what it's I about. Think, and I think you talked, you know, we, we talked earlier in a previous episode, too, about, um, you know, and we talked about shipwrecks and, and some of the some of the treasure around that and some of the some of the mystery around those but you know also you know after after the civil war there was a there was a pretty good movement of confederate uh, folks soldiers and what have you into texas mm-hmm. so i would think there's a lot of lore about what they were dragging along with them that's right yeah i mean texas take your pick there were pirates there were uh, conquistadors moving through texas looking for el dorado that lost a ton of currency along the way um there was you know the mexican independence battles there's mexican independence movement texas independence outlaws um you've got the lost gold and silver mines Uh, you know just take your pick on on what you want to look for texas is a good place for (laughs) treasure hunting um whether that's absolutely going all out and boots on the ground looking for it or you know on a couch at home looking up some of these stories there are plenty of, of stories in texas to keep yourself entertained yeah right and it you know it just thinking in southern texas the the mine theft out of the mine villages pushing forward into north america was huge in the 1800s and there was a lot of mine raids and they had a, a lot of massive gold and 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 values and stuff that were taken and were pushed into the United States back then. It's interesting to uh, I've read a lot of it on that. So it's awesome. So speaking of you know you living in Texas, were you affected by the cold weather that happened down there? Ooh, uh, it's pretty rough. Yeah, here. yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe not directly because I spent my uh, my week about 50 feet away from the windows and in about six layers of clothing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you Southerners in that thin Southern yeah. blood. <laughs> Man, I, I tell you, I went out on the porch when it was, I think it got down to negative one, which is the coldest I've ever experienced. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we, and, you uh, need to come up here for a yeah, yeah, we have a good friend that, a listener of the show lives down there now, Ryan in San Antonio, and yet he was talking about the cold. He grew up here, but he's been in the South long enough that yeah, he, he's thinned out, and yeah, he's like, oh my god, it's so cold. He goes, I bought thermals, and it was forty degrees. <laughs> so I was giving him hell about that. Yeah, we're walking well, around t-shirts at forty. So now, what part of Texas are you located again? Again, can I ask? I am in East Texas, about an uh, maybe forty-five minutes to an hour from the Louisiana border. Oh, okay. About halfway between Dallas and Houston. You're, well, you're riding smack dab in, in a historical bit. area. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will say this: toward the end of that week, um, when it was about one degree, I, I, negative one, I went outside just to experience it, and it, it was it was freezing. <laughs> the, the, did, the next no- day, did your nostrils? free shut when you breathe in everything froze shut (laughs) (laughs) you know it's one of those things you uh you'll never forget you step one foot outside and then then head in (laughs) um you know it was just steam off of my body as soon as i walk out uh but the next day it was about 30 to 35 which is typically freezing for me but after experiencing that negative one and that wind chill with that, the next morning I got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty Man, ama- it's yeah. pretty amazing how that works, isn't it? 
I'm sweating right now. Yeah. 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 That's kind of the way it just it wasn't just that long ago. Here we had a we had a week of really nice 60s, which you know coming out of winter feels really good. And then we had two days of colder weather, and you're like, oh my god, it's freezing. The next day it's 10 degrees warmer, and you think you're back in a heat wave again. So. Yeah. But Indiana, it's, 45 and in, you know 45 in March is motorcycle weather. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. We're in our short sleeves and tank tops. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were three. I think. Three blizzards that I experienced in Texas over the course of about a month, and I've I've never experienced a blizzard before then in my life. Yeah, I was driving through the Big Bend area, um, just right on the Mexican border one night, and uh, we drove through what was about a 24-inch snowfall overnight. Wow! And then I come back thinking that I, you know, I'm out of the the high elevation weather. Come home. Then it snows again within two days, and then a couple weeks pass, and then that that big cold front hits. So I, I was thankful to uh, never lose power. You know, right? As long right. as I've got Netflix and, and heat, I'm good. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. Well, and people that don't, the eastern part of Texas is not what people vision Texas as being. Most people think of Texas as flat, you know, desert dead. The eastern part of Texas is the rolling hills and hills. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Central Texas is really known for the hills. Um, and East Texas is lots of pine forests, very thick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, everything you you think is in Louisiana is also in East Texas. We've okay. got all the same snakes, all the same you know, <laughs> gators, alligator gar. So a lot of lush, lush, lush landscape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, because it was a Dallas-Fort Worth had that massive crash on the main freeway up there. It was really bad. Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was bad. So this has been fun, Christian. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any last story you want to leave with us? Paranormal, non-paranormal? Some treasure you found that you haven't told anybody else about? Shh. I'll, uh, are you guys into to Sasquatch stories? Oh, oh my God. Don't get Alan started. Yeah, say that, did he? <laughs> Wait a minute. We're going to have to start uh, a episode, new episode. And and all the Table three. 12 turned around and said, what? He wants to know if we're into Sasquatch. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us you're so, a Texas Sasquatch. Is it a Texas Sasquatch? Yeah. Okay, all go right. ahead. We're, we're, we're all ears now. So I grew up. But, you know, I, I was in the middle of that trifecta. Treasure, Sasquatch, ghosts. Awesome. You know, the, the only thing I'm missing is, is that, you know, five feet away UFO sighting. Yeah, yeah right. Well, that's how Sasquatch um, got there. Didn't you know that? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I know you, you guys have stories in Indiana. Um, you know, the, there are hot spots in the southeast Indiana, a lot of reports, even though you know, it's pretty close to a city. There are. Um, Greensburg, yeah. Try up the road from us. That's where we're at. Yep. Yeah. So I was, it was also in the summer of 2008. I had grown up hearing stories of it. You know, you'll have, there are companies here named after Sasquatch. There's, you know, all the gas stations will have, you know, Sasquatch t-shirts, whatever. Um, I guess growing up, I didn't know that East Texas had kind of, it was it was one of the most active places in the country for it. Um, my first interest, you know, came with the ocean. And my father and I would always talk about sea monsters. Well, when you start watching the shows about sea monsters, they'll be grouped in with other cryptids. And some, you know, domino effect happened to where I'm on TV and or I'm watching TV and I see this patty footage. And you, you see the Patterson-Gimlin film, the famous one, where it's walking across right. in Northern California. And as a kid, you know, I was same age, probably 7 to 10, and I was like, okay, these things exist. As a kid, there's... No it's doubt. impossible to think that things don't exist. Right. If, if you see it, no matter how you do so, it exists to you. Um, so I was like, okay, wow, that's a, that's a California thing. You know, that's... Pacific Northwest, those are cool, but you know, there's nothing interesting about them. It's not a dinosaur, it's not a sea monster. 
I don't really have any interest in it. Um, but I, I had a huge interest in, in cryptids. Um, this was about the time that Monster Quest was coming out. All those great shows, you know, Josh Gates, Destination right. Truth. Right. Um, you know, I was a weekly viewer of all of those. Um, and my mother had another friend. You know, my, my mother has all these insane friends, Ghost Hunter. Well, this one um, told me, uh, you know, th these stories that she had on her property. And uh, it was the summer of 2008, the same time I, I got involved with all these ghost hunting groups. Um, and I only remember that because I remember it was the same time that all the, the 2008 election coverage was going on. So I, I constantly associate this uh, event with, with um, Obama's presidency. So th that's how I date this. Anyway, it's the summer of 2008. And I believe it's early August. And one of my mother's co-workers ends up talking to me. And she says, I hear you have an interest in, in you know, cryptids and, and Bigfoot and stuff like that. She said, these things are on my property. Um, Just nonchalantly? Yeah, I've heard people talk about this before. Even wow. as a young age, I was like, okay, this woman's crazy. You know, what the heck is this? Um, and she says, you guys should come out spotlighting for them. I'll, I'll show them to you. Uh, I was, you know, okay, okay, that, that's cool. So we get, you know, my, my dad, my mom, my sister and I get in the back of this old truck. And we are on a property bordering I.D. Fairchild State Forest in Maydell, Texas pretty remote for where it is um, but we were in the back of this old pickup truck I was scared out of my mind not for, for what she was describing but uh, this woman had like all kinds of machetes, guns <laughs> flung in the back so I'm like what, what are well, we you going never up know. against yeah. it's like, it, does this woman just have these back here and, and you know that's that's East Texas women you know that's they can kill just about anything you, you, can, you can't survive here unless uh, you know you're prepared to kill and, and skin it right there there's nothing wrong with that yeah <laughs> so we go out there I know I'm in the back right side of this truck it's it's waist high grass in, in this field this old you know grass um, in this hay field and she gets this really powerful spotlight and she'll point them at the trees in between trees and we wait you know minutes and then she'll go there's one do you see it and we're like no we're like what are we what are we supposed to be looking for i i had never done research i had never done anything uh that would have told me it was supposed to do anything other than walk out and shake my hand i was expecting <laughs> really to walk out introduce itself and go oh man they're, they're right here um so five ten minutes into this i'm like this woman's crazy we're not we're not seeing anything then whether it's your eyes playing tricks on you or, or stuff actually happening um it's like the in the corner of your eye you would see trees almost start to shift like there'd be a tree another tree and a third tree and then all of a sudden that middle tree would be gone that the the next time you come around to look at it and so you're constantly wondering you know is, is this how the trees were was that something standing right there at this moment we're still like this woman's crazy she made it up you know she's insane <laughs> so she keeps shining the spotlight around you know there's another one there's another and she basically said yeah they're all around here in the tree line did not see anything Eventually, we saw some very faint red lights that were pretty high up. In my mind, I was like, okay, there's a raccoon or, you know, some sort of opossum, something in the tree. This is eye shine. No light on it, but it was weird. It was almost, the way I've described this to people is like if you take one of those cheap uh, digital watches from Walmart, with it's backlit with red, and you stood it about 50 feet away. 
um, in pitch black. It was about like that. It was very dim, reddish pink. Did not did not see anything other than that. Um, so we went home that night disappointed. I'm like, maybe we saw something. Maybe we didn't. The lights were weird. You know, it, it wasn't a great feeling at all. I didn't like it. But again, this gorilla didn't come out and, and shake my hand. And uh, it wasn't until 10 years later that my mom would say uh, she thought one stood up very close to her um, because she thought it was a stump in this hayfield. And now she's thinking, you know, why was there this stump in this hayfield? Could that have been one right there? Anyway, no answers that night. Then a couple weeks later, speaking of campfires, I was at a campfire. I think my mom had had a retirement party for, for one of her coworkers. And this lady comes up to me and she was like, I don't want to scare you, but I want you to know what's out here. Go through these and look at the photos. You can, you can see them. And she had this stack of like 20 CDs that were full of photos that she had taken with a digital camera. And I'm like, okay, maybe she was telling the truth. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, why is this woman not reporting this? You know, I was like, you know, the government needs to find this. This needs to be proven. Now I'm under the opinion they just need to be left alone if, if, if that's what's out there. Um, but she gives me these CDs. And I had this old blue Acer laptop and this uh, pull-out bunk bed. And I was <laughs> on the, the bottom part of this bunk bed. I'm just giving out all the details that I know. I, I know the comforter I had. I know exactly the direction I was facing. It's, it's been burned into my mind. But I was going to these photos. First one, blurry. Can't see anything. You know, second one, don't know if I could see anything better. Third one, clear. But I'm like, what? I, I can't tell what I'm looking at. Um, then... I, I start looking by quadrant, you know, upper left. I don't see anything. I'm trying to look past these leaves. And then I see the upper right quadrant where you can see shoulders and about three-fourths of a face um, of something that immediately right then and there I thought shouldn't have, have existed. I immediately, you know, never looked at this photo again after that. I did not look through the rest of the photos. I kind of took it out you know I, I burned one to an external hard drive um one of the cds to an external hard drive but i i gave her the cds back was so scared after then um but in my mind i was like this woman either captured one of these on photo and this is the scariest thing i've seen in my life or you know this is someone in some sort of halloween costume but this is what was in it it was above the camera line and I'm assuming she was probably holding it at her chest because I did all this math trying to figure out how tall it was um, she in the top right quadrant captured something that looked like it was leaning forward with its hands on its knees almost like a linebacker like pre-snap leaning forward um, and, and poking its face almost through these leaves it was standing behind a bush leaning forward uh, there were ridges in the forehead obvious ridges couldn't tell what the hair was like on top it was very blended in with the leaves but it was enough to tell that this this was something there um, the the eyes were what scared me the most you couldn't tell where the eyes were it was two almost empty eye sockets the, the eyes were so sunken and the, the shadows it was taken in daylight the shadows were so um, high contrast that you could not tell where the eyes started um, not much detail could be told about the muscle definition shoulders or anything very wide mouth very flat nose um, but it was just leaned over the eyes scared me the most it was like the way I describe it is if you had burn victim skin that was stretched against stretched very tightly against the skull um, and that you know that happened I was like 12 years old did not like it at all 
later on I would find another photo that I had you know inadvertently downloaded and I would see another half of a face um, the first one my initial impression was that it, I thought it was a tiger somehow standing up it was very feline to me almost the second one almost looked feline too um, and what made me think that was that there was a visible eye in this one and a visible pupil that was a vertical slit. Oh. And it wasn't until I would actually study, you know, um, physical anthropology later um, at, at university that I would figure out that the vertical slits make a lot of sense and that Neanderthals were theorized to have vertical slits. If, if they hunted at night, that meant during the day they had to constrict all the light because they were they were you know night viewers right um but that that happened i've never had any crazy experiences other than that with it other than just being shown these photos it was enough to combined with you know those being shown the orb photos as a kid to ask for a camera because i wanted to to get those photos too i'd later find out that my dad's best friend would uh, my dad's high school best friend and, and best man at his wedding would later go on to found uh, what's called the GCBRO, the Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization, and uh, later get a television show. We had no clue about that. Um, and then I started looking into it. I tracked down local stories, you know, family friends. It turns out that we have probably 20 to 25 family friends with their own encounters, ranging from anything from the stuff being left on the porch to physical sightings within a foot. Okay, um, we got an update. Once we're done watching the movie in the hotel with the cat pee lights, we're going Bigfoot hunting. So just to update, <laughs> and, the, this and trip's I, getting a little longer. <laughs> I have one other suggestion, Christian. <clears throat> Don't get a real job. <laughs> you, you have so many things going on that are you know, I intriguing. Have a, uh, you I know, have a question. Do you amazing. still have some of those pictures? I do. I technically do, but I do not. Okay. Um, so there was that that second photo with the eye that was on this old turquoise WD external drive, and I remember that dying my sophomore year of college after oh. I showed a roommate the photo. Um, I've never tried to search for it to recover it. Um, you know, once again, I've always been kind of separate from it. I've been out on investigations. <clears throat> I've never wanted to be one of those people trying to, to solve anything. You know, I'm okay knowing that, that something might be out there. Um, so the question I have for you, knowing what you know, would you go for a walk in the woods at night by yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah. mm. Well, he's okay, got, he's got no. your, hesi your hesitation was always yeah, in was here. Our, but he's got snakes and everything else to worry about. Yeah, yeah, walking walking down there. Night, so yeah, yeah. It, it's a little it's different walking in our woods. Nine foot chewbaccas is enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not the Sasquatch abduction that's uh, what I'm worried about. I'm kind of thinking about mosquitoes and. And it's just a big hassle. I don't. It's yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. It sounds good. Uh, yeah. yeah. We we yeah. Humidity. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I can share with you maybe the coolest story I've ever heard from Texas. Um. From the 1930s. So this is decades before the Patterson Gimlin footage blows this up, and what I like the most is not modern sightings. I've never been one of those guys that's you know actively wanting to pursue anything i like all the the old um you know native folklore about similar things you know how is that related to when the anglo settlers moved in how is it similar and, and different between cultures um and I, I found an old story from the 1930s that really interested me and this was another one of my mother's friends but he talked about his grandfather um, going coon hunting on a property in the late 1930s in East Texas. And he said until the day he died, he talked about two dead baby monkeys in the woods. And before you ever hear the term Sasquatch, before the term is popularized in the 60s and 70s, and before Bigfoot becomes a term, you know, how else would you have described two 
juvenile creatures that you find in the wood other than two dead baby monkeys. So that's what he talked about. But one of the descriptions he had of one of them was that it had had its head twisted off the body with, with part of the spine still attached. And so it was just two dead monkeys. One was untouched. The other had had its head twisted off. And he said his grandfather thought that um, either they were born with, uh, you know, some sort of defect, even though he didn't know what the heck it was. Um, you know, in the 1930s, this is where you get the stories of escaped circus monkeys. So I'm going to stop you there for a minute. That's funny. So right now, right now in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is about 40 minutes from here, there's monkeys on the loose. I really, (laughs) yeah. Oh, you didn't hear? You haven't heard this? Oh yeah. For two nights now, some private owner monkeys got out. Allegedly. (laughs) So allegedly, they were in Hyde Park, and so Price Price Hill. Yeah, Price Hill. Hill, Yeah. So there's videos of. There's videos. So. All right, sorry about that, Christian. Right. It's a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just such a cool account going way back decades before any of that was popular. And uh, just him saying that he thought it was some sort of territorial kill or, or there was some sort of defect and, and the babies were killed because that does happen in the animal world. Right, right. Um, but I just thought that was such a cool encounter. It's not your stereotypical, this thing was walking across the hiking trail or, or walking across the right. road. Right. I just love tracking down stories. I'll never try to convince anyone anything's real. Never try to debunk anything. You know, this is. Yep, it's up, it brings uh, a lot of people joy looking into it. Right. Who so knows? It's all good. It's all good. So I tell you what, we've had a blast talking to you, yeah, Christian. Um, and we look forward to you know once your movie's done, you know what you, you look out. We'll, we'll head to Texas. Yeah, we'll head down there and preview that thing with you. So, but I just, I just got to say, say one thing. Listen to your stories, um, how you describe the stories. It's not. I mean, you're, you're truly the, a storyteller. Um, you know the descriptions of the eyes and you know and just everything you're seeing. We're sitting here and I mean I'm almost feeling it. I'm just kind of staring at the staring at the TV that Alan's got the recorder going on, just just listening to the words. And I mean you are a true storyteller. I mean just. It's really great to listen to you tell about your experiences, and you can almost feel them with how you describe them. So I commend you on that. You need to, if you don't do it, make it in the TV. I think you could end up writing books, or 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 your writing could take you somewhere. Hey, well, let's make up. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Christian. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. So Great for, conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So for Cross the Line 1524, I'm Alan Stanger with... Dwayne Bischoff. Jeff Montag. Ruben Hunt. And our special guest... Christian Blake Roper. And we'll see you next time. I tell you what, a fun, fun time we had interviewing Christian Roper. Uh, and, you know, as soon as that documentary's out about that treasure down in Texas, we're heading down there. So for Dwayne Bischoff... Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, I'm Alan Stanger, and you've been listening to Cross the Line, 